This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Bet Lucas. I have five crazy kids, a full-time career in a mostly male industry, and I've been on a health journey where I've lost over 40 pounds. On this podcast, you will find encouragement for your own unique journey. You'll be provided tools to help you not just survive this life, but thrive in the areas of health, career, and family. So come live your big, bold life with me. Are you ready? I sure am. Hello. Welcome to Living Your Big, Bold Life podcast, episode number eight. Today's guest is a mom of eight, author of the book, The Possibility Mom, and host of The Possibility Mom podcast. She has been featured on the Today Show, HGTV, and the New York Times. She believes that saying yes to motherhood does not mean saying no to your dreams. Today, I am just thrilled to have this bold and beautiful mom and career woman on the show. I truly know her story will inspire you on your unique path. So welcome, Lisa. I'm just so excited to have you here today. Oh my gosh, I am so excited. It was just, I, I when, when reading your book, I just kept being like, yes, yes. And I think your message is so powerful because you emphasize in your book that you were inspired to write it because there, there are not a lot of moms who have a big family, who are still trying to pursue their dreams, and there's not a lot of people kind of saying, you can do it. This is how you do it. And I love how you say, I wrote this book because it was the book I really needed. And so tell us your story and let's go back a few years. How did you become the possibility mom? That is a great question. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so, so much. You know, the, the book has been, I think, on my heart for many, many years. And I remember when I was approached to do the book, I remember saying to the beautiful woman who approached me about it, the acquisition editor, I remember being like, I have like no following. Like my mom is my biggest fan. Like, is this really the time for a book for me? And she really challenged me. She was speaking about her own experience with her daughters and what she was seeing in the marketplace. And she was like, there needs to be someone who expands on the how. There is a lot out there currently on chase your dreams, rah, rah, rah break every glass ceiling there is, et cetera. But what I found that was lacking and what I desperately needed myself was almost like a manual. Well, how do you pursue your dreams when you've got to get kids to school on time? How do you pursue dreams when you have a newborn who won't sleep straight through the night, when you have a house that's turned upside down by toddlers, when your spouse is also working full time and might not understand all of your goals and dreams? Like, How do you actually do it given the very unique and very specific, if, you know, just to be tactile, like Frank, like the specific challenges that face a modern day mother. So that was really the reason why I wrote this book. I wrote it for myself. I do a lot of things because I need it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I think that's 
wonderful and that you you have all this experience and you've walked the walk and then you said hey this is the book that i really needed so let's rewind how did you get there what brought you here today so i was very fortunate to have a really fun interior design career when i lived in toronto canada where i was born and raised and i hosted an hdtv show in 2007 called marriage under construction and that led me to just so many unique very, very thrilling experiences. I worked in front of the camera on many different lifestyle television shows. And I worked behind the camera with people like the Property Brothers and lots of other HGTV personalities doing a job that is called production design. So where you're you're working behind the scenes, making these reveals that you see on TV that look so effortless and easy. There's a whole team of people who make those possible. And I really felt called to work. I just always did. I just had this this flair and this drive and this talent. I was entrepreneurial from a young age. And so I knew when I got married and started having children that I wanted to continue to run my own business. But what was really challenging was that I didn't have the skills to do both of those things well. So everything came to a very, very, very sudden implosion, so to speak, one day in my minivan. And I I remember it so vividly because it was November. And in Toronto in November, that's usually when you're getting your first few snowfalls. And I remember just looking outside my minivan, sitting in the front seat, my hands on the steering wheel. And the picture outside my van was so pretty, just this light dusting of snow on this very quiet street. And I just remember so vividly looking around my minivan at the chaos and the clutter and thinking how opposite it was from all the snow. There were goldfish crackers, like crumpled like confetti all over the floor of my car. There were like sippy cups and crushed up water bottles and apple juice boxes. The remains of every fast food restaurant you could think of on the face of the greater Toronto area all over the floor. All over. I know this scene so well. Keep going. (laughs) Multiple car seats, multiple sizes because I had my, I had four kids at that time and way in the back was my brand new baby girl. I had just given birth to my fourth baby in five years, and she was just seven days out of hospital. And I had convinced myself that this was a great time to bring her to a construction site. And I remember just like feeling the exhaustion. I had the Band-Aid in still from my epidural. Literally, I had a hospital bag in between the front seat and the passenger seat. And I just remember having this sudden realization that my priorities were as messy as my minivan. And I just remember sitting there and thinking like, there has got to be another way. There has got to be another way where a woman can follow her dreams, but not have it be at the expense of her health, her relationship with her spouse, her relationship with her kids. and. I became basically on a mission, like absolutely obsessed that point forward with the concept of figuring out how to do both of these things well. How can you be a great mom, but also follow your dreams? How can you be a great business owner, but also feed your family and spend time with your spouse and have some semblance of self-care? How 
can you do both and do both of these things well? And basically all of that, that experience from my, you know, it's interesting to measure. I wonder if you feel this way too, but like where you measure your life by your children, like you kind of, you remember like, oh, in this phase when we had four kids or in this phase when we had six kids, like, so essentially for me, post my fourth baby onward, so Rose, her name is, onward, I became obsessed with the concept of how to do these things well. And that all got turned into my book, The Possibility Mom, How to Be a Great Mom and Pursue Your Dreams at the Same Time. And so I transitioned an interior design career to now what I do, which is speaking, one-on-one coaching, group coaching, and online courses for moms. Oh, I just think your story is so powerful. And I, for many reasons, I love that you say you had a drive from a very early age. And I get a lot of moms and just people in general, they'll kind of pull me aside and they have that drive too. And they kind of feel guilty for it. Like they, you know, they've had a talent or they've really been entrepreneurial. And I love sharing stories like yours because there is a way that we can embrace that love that we have and that drive that we have. And we don't need to to hide it or feel guilty about it. And that is a unique that that some of us and and some people listening today have. And so I love hearing that. And then yes, I totally get kind of that hamster wheel moment where you're just like, I remember I compared certain times of my life that were similar where you know, the closets in every house where like they'd show it on a cartoon show and the cartoon character would open it and crap would just fall everywhere on top of them. You know, like, like it would, it was hiding in there. I feel like that was so much of the blur of my early career and, and having lots of children in a short amount of time, it was like the closet was shut, but barely. And there were just times where I'd open it, it was just stuff everywhere. And it kind of exemplified where I was at. So in your book, I love how you actually talk about tactile things that you can do and and things you can put into action, because I think a lot of times we talk about these things, but then how, you know, great, Lisa, I'm so glad you want us to be a great mom and a great career person but you actually talk about the how. So so tell us a few exercises or things that and advice you'd like to share today from your book that you think would be helpful for the listeners to hear about. You know, I think we're in a really unique time in history right now. A time of recording, we are in quarantine, right? And it's a global global quarantine. This is not just one random little pocket. Everyone in the world is going through a similar experience. And and what this experience has been very interesting, what I have found interesting to observe and the moms in my Facebook group, the Possibility Mom Success Circle and moms who connect with me on Instagram, like people are asking questions. People are asking really, really hard hitting questions about the purpose of their life. And I think that's where everything has to begin. Everything has to begin with why are you doing what you're doing? And I don't even mean like, what is the purpose of my life in this grand, you don't have to start there, but even just like, why did you say yes to be PTA president? Why did you say yes to doing the bake sale? Why did you say yes to going on a play date with this friend? Why did you say yes to book club? Why did why do you say yes to anything? And I think we have to really examine, and that is why this time in history is so powerful and such a, I think will be obviously being very sensitive to the, the real pain that is occurring in the world. But what I think will be the gift to a lot of people 
is this question of why do I do what I do? Because in the absence of the busy, in the absence of the baseball, in the absence of the PTA, in the absence of the many different commitments that we have had previously, in the absence of all of that, we're either realizing I really miss it, and so there's something in that that you can expand on and and examine, or we're realizing I do not miss that at all. But why? Why? I promise I'll get back to your original question, but what would be a real tragedy to me is if people post-pandemic simply went back to living their lives exactly the same way. No, this is powerful, Lisa, and I want you to keep going on this because I think this is so true. This has been, this is like, I feel it's like, like this, there's been a whiteboard with all this writing all over it and it's just been cleaned off. Your voicemail has been emptied. Like every, and now you have the choice on what to add back. It's, that's so powerful. Yep. And it has to begin with why. Mm -hmm. So let's just, you know, let's go with a competitive sport. Okay. So why were you in that competitive sport? If you miss it, then perhaps you can reflect on, okay, well, I really like socializing with the fellow parents or my child really excelled at whatever sport it was, or it brought a great sense of community. It was something we could all do as a family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But if you don't miss it, Uh (laughs) why? Was it so you know frenetic and challenging on your family's schedule? Did you feel like you were constantly at the beck and call of a calendar and practices? Did you feel like you were kind of pulling teeth anyways to try to get your child maybe to be excited about going? Like these are really important questions to ask. And what I think is the not that life should be easy. I do not believe that life should be easy. You know, my, my worldview is very much informed by my Catholic faith. And so I definitely see suffering as not necessarily something to be avoided at all costs. So I want to make that clear. However, what I think we have to pay attention to and sort of like understand life does not have to be a constant, to use that phrase again, hamster wheel of exhaustion and overcommitment and what have you. So just because something is difficult and hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Okay. I just want to make that super clear. There might be aspects of things in life that you do that are difficult. I'm not saying that everything we do in life should be void of stress or suffering or what have you. However, if there is something that you are electing to do by your own free will and you're choosing to do it, but it's causing you pain, we got to ask those questions of why and what is behind that. And so really I think, and I start with this in the possibility mom in my book is to begin with the end in mind. Like if you were to really just fast forward the tape of your life, what do you hope your life stood for? What do you hope you did with your time? What impact do you hope you made? What do you hope is your lasting legacy? And I remember, you know, I I got, I pulled this exercise out of a book that was written by Michael Hyatt and Daniel Harkovay called Living Forward. And I remember doing this exercise where essentially you write your own obituary. I realize that's kind of morbid and in these times might be difficult for some people to kind of process, but I I feel like it is the fastest way, if you will. Like if you want to really get a clear picture on your purpose Fast forward into the end and literally going through the exercise of writing your own obituary can be a very helpful tool in realizing what is truly important to you. And so to just literally think, how do I want to be remembered? 
I think can help bring to the surface the things that are truly important to you. And that is where we need to begin any type of conversation of, are we going to do this or are we going to do that? It's got to begin with the end in mind. I love that. And I think that you see when, whether we've personally struggled in our journeys or when other, someone else is struggling, a lot of times they're struggling to know what their purpose is. And so everything else kind of can't, you can't kind of take the next step because you don't know. So I love that exercise. And I do agree with you that it is super powerful. I remember an author that I read recently, and she's talking about shifting in the household and, and shifting as you're having children. And she was talking about that in, I think, one of her Instagram posts too, about write your own obituary, you know, and I loved it when you referenced that. And I haven't read Living Forward. So I definitely want to check that out. So when you kind of help women now find an answer, okay, here's my purpose, different things, what do you find is the next step that you think is really helpful for them to really look at or, or the next action item? I would invite anyone to consider now, if you were to literally live your life from this day forward, the way you're living it now, will you get there? And to examine the discrepancy, well, if so, great. Continue to do the things that you're doing. Continue to you know, expand on the certain things that you have a trajectory towards. But if you're not, what can you change so that you can get there? So let me give you an example. Let's use the example of I want to be a published author or I want to have written many books that have helped a certain group of people. What needs to be made possible in order for that goal to happen? You need to actually become a writer. You know, we, we don't write books simply by putting a picture of a written book on a vision board. Like that's not how a book gets written. The book gets written in the hard work of every day or every week or whatever it is, actually putting pen to paper and moving forward, regardless if it's five minutes at a time, regardless if it's one hour at a time, regardless if it's five words or five sentences, like it is the incremental process of moving that goal forward by action, by regular action. And this is why I believe that truly it doesn't matter how much childcare you have. You know, I, let's just, I'm just going to go here for a moment and be super. Yes, please. <laughs> you know, when I was in Toronto, we had full-time childcare. So I recently relocated my family. I was born and raised in Toronto, Canada. And then we recently relocated to Southwest Florida. That's a whole other story, but we just really felt called to live a more peaceful life in a small town, in a small town where you could walk to everything and where obviously sunshine was a factor. You know, weather in the Northeast or in the North period, it's not as it's- <laughs> not as enjoyable. Oh my gosh, in Toronto, Canada, it was snowing in May. Like we're May. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's snowing. So anyways, I'm grateful to be down here in Florida. But when we lived in Toronto, we had childcare of all kinds. There was my parents who helped us for periods. We had a part-time babysitter for periods. We had you know, high school girls in the neighborhood who would come over when I would work in the house. And eventually, both my career and my husband's career were sort of going at the same level of incline, if you will. So it's not like either of ours was plateauing in terms of busyness or like one of us was creating like an exit strategy. Mm -mm. It was, we were both of us climbing 
at the exact same rate. And I just remember we turned to each other and we said, all right, something has to change. This was before the book. This was after Miniman Meltdown. So it was kind of in that time period of really figuring all these things out. And I just remember we looked at each other and we were like, the math isn't adding up. Like we are, the two of us are equally as busy. The two of us were traveling at that point equally as, as much kind of thing. And we just sort of, with kids in school and all the things, we turned to each other and we were like, we either have to, one of us has to take a step back and be a bit more of a stable presence at home, or we need to figure out that stable presence at home. What we were very aware of was, for us, it wasn't the spending time with kids. Like We knew how to do that. We knew how to do that. We knew how to figure that out in terms of also balancing that with work. What was very challenging was laundry, cooking, cleaning for a family of that many children. So when we got our nanny, I'm just sort of rewinding the tape in my head. I want to say we had just given birth to our sixth baby. That is correct. So James. And I remember our nanny came literally, I want to say, like it was very short after that I had the baby after she joined our family. I share all of this because I sometimes, in, when I lived in Toronto and we had our nanny and I would talk about work-life balance, I would be written off very quickly because people would say very quickly, well, you have a nanny, so of course you can do anything. Uh-huh. But what I really want to expand upon here that relates to the point that we were originally addressing is that I do not believe the pursuit of goals and dreams, and I believe this so wholeheartedly. I be- do not believe that the pursuit of goals and dreams is tied up in childcare. Like they are not mutually necessary for your goal and dream to happen. Now, let me expand on why. Sure, please do. Leaving Toronto, we moved down here to Florida and for a bunch of legal reasons, to be honest, because legal immigration type of reasons, we couldn't bring her with us as much as we wanted to. It was just not simply possible due to immigration law. And I remember thinking, no problem. I'll figure it out when I get here. I'll find somebody. Couldn't find anybody. And that's just, that's a whole other can of worms of how you find the right type of help for your home, but could not find anybody. And so we were back to how we were before. So currently we do not have any help. And both of us are, we, sorry, we, that's not true. We have now that quarantine in, in the state of Florida has lifted a little bit. We're in phase one at time of recording this podcast. So we've had been able to have somebody come in for date nights and whatnot. But up until week 10 of quarantine, so basically for the last 10 weeks, we were juggling two careers and eight children and homeschooling. And we were still making progress on our goals and dreams. I do not believe that it's tied up in external childcare. Now, let's be clear. Does somebody have to watch your children while you might do something exactly what you and I are doing right now? Possibly. But you know, if I can share transparently, the time of recording for you is before your children are awake. This is what I challenge moms to think about, especially right now in this time of history and in general. What can you do with what you've got? So let's say you don't have any budget for childcare, or let's say, like in quarantine, for many people, childcare is simply just not even available. What can you do with the time that your children are sleeping? What can you do with the time that they are occupied either in screens or in other activities? How can you get your children to help you even pursue your personal goals and dreams? So let me tell you what that looks like practically in my home. So we made the conscientious effort to push my coaching forward. So we knew that that would require me to be in a closed room (laughs) 
<laughs> with a door that locks, that locks effectively so that I could have these very sometimes challenging and intimate conversations with the moms that I'm coaching one-on-one. So we looked at the calendar. We were like, okay, with your work and with my work, I could do two hours every morning. And so what we decided was Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, I coach for a two-hour block in the morning. And then on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I take one or two calls in the evening after my kids go to bed. All of this to say is that you've just got to start with what is available to you and get really creative and be very strategic with how you spend your time. So let's say your spouse says, okay, you've got a goal to write a blog or you've got a goal to start a podcast. Right now, it's not in the cards for us to hire anybody to watch the kids, but here's what I can do. For an hour every evening, I can take the kids to the park. You've got one hour every single evening. Can I just say, you might be thinking, that's not enough time. How on earth could I do that? Blah, 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 blah. What can you accomplish in an hour that is better than no hours? Do you know what I mean? Like an idea and a goal and a dream and a thing in your heart does not become something actualized without action. And even if it is just five minutes a day, like literally five minutes where maybe your podcast is only three minutes long in the beginning. I'm not even kidding. If that is a goal in your heart, you make that happen with whatever resources and time and strategy that you need to, you do it. Because here's what I believe, and this is what has been the story of my life over and over again with every baby, with every increase in our bank account, with every decrease in our bank account, with moving countries, with losing childcare, with all the things. It will happen if you allow yourself to be open to maybe there's a different way you were supposed to do the thing that you thought of and that maybe you had a fixed mindset around that it has to look this way. Maybe there's a different way and maybe it's an even more effective way. Who knows? But we've got to literally live in a posture of surrender and say, okay, I'm going to do this in this really weird different way that I didn't think was going to look like this but I'm going to do it anyway because this dream in my heart is important. This dream in my heart needs to get out and it's not selfish because this dream can help other people. And that is really the heart of it all is that honestly, like, yes, do we want to make money? Sure. Do we want to do something that lights us up? Sure. All these things. But it's actually about the contribution and the gift that it's going to be for other people. All these dreams honestly are not for ourselves, you know, although obviously there is self-actualization and the person we're becoming and there's certain things that happen in that. But really, these dreams are to bless other people. You know, one of the one of the things I'm, I'm getting all riled up here. I'm getting all No, but I love it. You are so right. So I don't want to interrupt you. I want you to keep going because you're just this message needs to be heard. And so keep going. I wrote the book. And honestly, I was kind of like, like, you know, what's going to happen? I was terrified and petrified of what people were going to think. I, I really dealt with and still deal with a lot of self-doubt and imposter syndrome and all the things. But one of the greatest gifts is seeing lives changed. Being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely road, especially when you're a digital entrepreneur, you're like talking to your computer, you're talking to your phone and you're like, is anybody even listening? Does anybody even hear me? Like, but when I get into these little spells of self-doubt and like, oh, there are other people who are doing things better than me and what's the point? And like, it's so hard. My husband will literally open a file on my computer and it's 
all the messages and Amazon reviews and retweets and DMs from women who have been impacted by my book. And it's like on auto dial for him, so to speak. Like he, he literally, as soon as I start complaining or whining, he like walks over, the file is on my desktop, he opens it up. Again, if I had not taken action, if I had said, this is too hard, or there are other people who are doing it better, or X, Y, Z, those messages wouldn't have happened. You and I probably wouldn't be talking. And so all of this to say is to say that your dream is actually, yes, to benefit you and yes, to benefit your family, but it's actually for the gain of someone else. And that's just so important to remember. And that's why your dreams matter and why I argue they have to happen regardless of your circumstances. Hey friends, it's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out, and I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please, subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. I think that is so important because I think by having that mindset, don't you agree that that really helps you when you run into a critic or self-doubt that helps you power through or the thought of future critics, you know? So when we, when I was kind of going through this process of launching this podcast and the website, and you know, this all too well, you're putting yourself out there. And when you're putting yourself out there, that can mean that there is a likelihood of more people judging you or saying a snarky remark. But the more you can bring it back to by following this dream, I love this, by following this dream, we are helping others. And we're not just helping our family. We are helping others in their dreams. And that's such a powerful reminder. I got asked actually just this weekend by a friend, she goes, but what do you do when you run into critics or what do you do when you you run into that self-doubt? And I just say, focus on all those people that you either are making a difference in their lives or you want to make a difference in their lives. And I, I think that is just so important. And I love that your husband does that. What an uplifting thing to do because Lisa, your story is making impact and the things you are doing are making impact. And I could totally imagine how it might be a little lonely when, you know, it is a digital, a lot more digital than in person at times. So when you were writing Possibility Mom, how long did it take you? And did you have a kind of a set goal every day, a word count? Did you set aside a certain amount of time? And I'm sure that was fairly dynamic. I'm sure some days it was longer or, or shorter, but... How long did it take you? I'm curious. This is a great question. (laughs) (laughs) So let me very briefly tell you how it came to be. So I'm in a mastermind with three other beautiful women who I've journeyed with for many, many years. We met at a business conference and we all had common interests and common goals. And so we just started meeting regularly to do business and do life together. They're all over the United States. And so 
we get together annually and we got together one year in Nashville and somebody in the mastermind has a friend who is an acquisitions editor for the publishing house that published my book. And she was like, you know what? She wants to have us all to dinner and we'll have, you know, we'll chat marketing. We'll do all the things. And I remember being, so I was very pregnant. I was very pregnant with my sixth baby. And I remember just being like, mm, I'm going to take a nap during that time because I remember she's going to sell us on writing books. She's going to tell us about, you know, the importance of books. And I just remember being like, a book is not for me. I don't want to be a writer. The book is the kind of thing you do when you have like a bunch of people who follow you, blah, blah, blah. So I was just like, meh, I'm going to take a nap. But of course, I'm sanguine. I'm an extrovert. I was like, I can't leave a party. I can't not be there. So of course I went. And it was truly a transformative experience because the next day or, or a few days later when I got back home to Toronto, she called me. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, like, why is this woman calling me? Like, this is a very busy, important person. Like, why is she calling me? I remember exactly what she said. I was sitting, like, I was mega pregnant, lying down in my bed. And I remember I had the phone up and she was like, Lisa, the time for your book is now. And I was like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the time for your book is now. And she went on to say just how many mothers are struggling with modern motherhood. And she just shared how she thought my perspective on work and family balance and the fact that I'm doing it. Like, it's not like I'm many years out of it. Like, it's not like my children are all grown up and so my house is quiet and I'm doing it then. Or it's it's not like I am don't have children and I'm kind of just hypothesizing. She was just like you're doing it. Like your life is the science lab, quote unquote, like to share your own experiences as like a friend on the journey, but like not just tell, but show. She was really, really encouraging that the time for the book was now. And so I had to get over a million limiting beliefs about what it meant to write a book. Like I really just thought that you wrote a book when you were famous. It was just, that was it. You didn't write a book if nobody knew who you were. And what she really encouraged me to think about was that the book could actually be the tool that helps you market yourself. And so when I started to think about it in that way, I decided to move forward. And I'm so grateful I did because what the art of writing a book also did for me and that can do for so many people was to clarify my own message, to clarify like what is important to me, what is what was my approach, what did I do in those years of trying to figure out things after my minivan meltdown, what is the method and what is the method that other people could go through. So for anybody who might be listening and thinking, I have a book in my heart, or I have a blog, or I have a podcast, like the best advice, and this is the advice I give my my one-on-one coaching students, is that you just have to start. Like just start. It does not matter how much of an authority you think you are or you think you're not. The art of creating content and getting your thoughts out of your head and onto paper or onto some other format like a video or a podcast will help you to understand and make sense of everything that's rattling around in your brain. And so just create. Even if nobody reads it, it doesn't matter. The art of doing it is going to help you bring a lot of clarity. So then, of course, I went to the hard work, resigned the contract, went to the hard work of writing the book. And let me tell you, I let three deadlines come and go. Like literally, I had to ask for three extensions. And I remember at first, it was like, oh, well, it's because I'm going to have a baby. And then time goes on, time goes on, we get pregnant again. And then I was like, oh yeah, it's because I'm having another baby. I had two babies <laughs> in the time that it went from signing the contract 
to writing it. And I'll, I'll never forget. I love this story because it's, it's, it's a very visual one. So I had let, like I said, three deadlines come and go. My publisher was like, the time is now, the time is now, the time is now. And I remember I was very close to finishing and I was very close to also giving birth to my seventh baby. And I was in a conference room in Toronto, a marketing conference for people who run membership sites. And I remember I was sitting in the very back because, you know, my back hurt. Like it was all the things. Like I, I was. Oh, yes, you're just done. <laughs> I'm not kidding when I say, I think I was maybe four weeks away from, from giving birth. Oh my goodness. In the back, I remember it was James Wedmore. If you're not familiar with James Wedmore, he has a wildly popular podcast and he has resources for online entrepreneurs, etc. And I remember just very like I'm done posture. If you can picture an I'm done posture of a very pregnant woman, you know, I had my feet up on a chair. I was like totally not leaning in. I was the opposite of leaning in. But then he said something that made me like get on my feet and move. He was at the front talking about the different mindset challenges that happen when you are an entrepreneur. And he said that perfectionism is really a shield from being judged. Let me say that again for the people in the back. Perfectionism is really a shield for being judged. Oh, that is good. I'm writing it down right now, Lisa. Like I remember in the middle of the conference, like it was so rude of me. I should not have done this. But in the middle of him giving his talk, I just remember listening to that, like literally being like, this is why I haven't finished writing. It's not because I'm a slow writer. It's not because I had babies. It's because I have been absolutely petrified of people reading my words and then judging me for it. And as soon as I had that realization, that, oh my gosh, who cares? And the, the, the follow-up thing that he said is very important to note too. They're judging you right now anyways. Like, right. You're not taking it away. Like it's, it's there. <laughs> exactly. So, so who cares? Like literally who cares? And when I, when I realized that, that I had not been finishing the book because I was so petrified of what people were going to think. I remember right in the middle of the conference, the conference was still going on. People are mingling and like networking and all the things. I'm at the very back. My arms are practically outstretched because I'm so pregnant and I had to kind of put my computer beyond my pregnant belly. And I literally cranked out the last chapter of the book sitting in that conference hall. And I just was like, get behind me perfectionism. Like I was like, I will not let you rule the day. And this is a natural thing. I think these inner voices, our inner critic, being a perfectionist, all these things, it stems from our family of origin sometimes. It stems from stories and people from our childhood. Like many things inform the harsh critic within us. That's neither good nor bad. It just is. It is just simply is. But we have the powerful opportunity and agency to decide how much voice we give that inner critic. And, you know, again, it's not a perfect science. I still, like I, like I shared with you earlier, can be very, very hard on myself and, and fall into incredible amounts of self-doubt. But the faster that we can develop the skills to combat that with success the faster our goals and dreams and where we want to go in life will happen. Yeah, I just love that. And I really want to thank you because even, you know, this podcast is due to launch any day and we have all these episodes created, the website's ready to launch and there 
were days that I felt exactly like that, where you just, I would compare it with being like kind of stuck in like, I don't know, quicksand's the right word because I didn't feel like I was sinking. But you know, when you walk in like really mucky, like mud and your, your feet are kind of stuck, like there would just be times in this process where that's how I would feel. And I think you're exactly right that I was just in this stuck place because I wanted it to be perfect. And I was worried, oh, well, what are people going to think? And you said, oh, I don't even have, you know, all these followers yet or whatever. I think we start saying, well, we're not an expert. I mean, we're doing the best we can. We are living this life. But, you know, are people going to start thinking like, oh, who does she think she is? And I just see that trap. So, oh, I love that quote. I had never heard that. And I do love, I know you, you've talked about in your book, but, you know, I do love Brene Brown. And she has some great things on, on perfectionism. But if anyone is listening and you haven't read Dare to Lead, go just to Audible and just listen to the sample reading of it because she talks all about just, you know, just acting, getting in the ring and letting go of perfectionism. And so, oh, I think that's so inspiring. So Lisa, you are a mom of eight children. 11 and under, you and your husband both have careers. You've moved. Now that you've been seven months into it, and this is probably an odd time to ask because quarantine life is a little bit different, but what does a typical day look like for you? Like, I think it was really helpful you shared like what times you potentially would coach or how and times in the, you know, taking evening calls, but what does a typical day look like for you? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to tell you. So I have an ideal. And I have a what is actually happening right now. Right. And <laughs> get closer. They're, to be very frank, they are starting to get closer. So my ideal is to wake up at least an hour before my kids. That is currently not happening. But my ideal would be to wake up at least an hour before my kids and have a morning routine that includes quiet prayer time alone, putting my hair and my makeup, like, you know, doing my face alone, like while it's quiet, and then doing some exercise before the day even begins. That's not currently happening. And to be very frank with you, I'm trying to like even pinpoint right here on the podcast, like why? And it's because I'm going to bed very late. I'll expand on that in a moment. But in an ideal world, I would be getting up early and doing all of that before my kids. So what instead what's happening is I wake up and I'm woken up with children around. We are sorting through some logistical things in this new house. To make a very long story short, my children know how to open all locked doors. (laughs) So they like, they know how to wiggle the the lock, no child lock, no nothing. We are currently navigating that. So I have children who basically run into my room and wake me up. (laughs) No idea what time of day it's going to be. Sometimes it's really early. Sometimes it's not. I'm just being super transparent here. It is not my ideal. Like ideally, I would prefer my children to stay in their rooms for a certain time. I'm talking about my very young children. My, My older children understand the expectation, but my very young children were having a harder time with that. So that is currently how I'm waking up, which is why my morning routine is not as childless, if you will. But can I give you a little bit of, as as you keep going into this, I do not think you are alone right now because I am hearing this like in my Facebook group, Motivate We, 
across the board, people are like, oh my gosh, my morning routine is just so off because we're all going, I think we're all going to bed so much later. And this is not like ideal, but it is, it's taken me, you know, until about last week, my morning routine got better, but that's a lot, that was quite a long ways into quarantine. And so I don't think you're alone here. And I'm kind of like, hey, I don't have teenagers yet and I'm not ready for like a teenager bedtime yet. Like this is not okay with me at the same time. We're all doing it. Like, so so, it's the best we can. We can. So keep going, but I don't think you're alone. So remind me though, what time typically are your kids, uh, you know, I know you have such a wide range in ages, but what typically are they getting up? So it's my younger ones who are my built-in alarm clock right now. It's my four-year-old and my, sorry, he's five, five, he just turned five, five-year-old and my three-year-old are the ones who are up at the crack of dawn and just, they figured out child locks and they basically just come in. (laughs) (laughs) We're awake. It's time to party. So what I've done now is simply taken all the things that I would typically do alone and done them with children around. So for your people in your audience who share a similar worldview as I do and would like to read the Bible every day and pray, I simply just do that now while they eat breakfast. So breakfast is very simple. Sometimes my older children will make it on their own. My older children are usually up and downstairs between 7 and 7.30. And so my older children, to be very frank, will, will make breakfast. It's usually very simple, things like cereal or frozen pancakes. And they take care of that on their own. And the expectation is that they also clean up from breakfast also. So then I'm sitting there with a hot cup of coffee. I never thought this would happen, to be very frank with you. I remember many days and having just a bunch of small kids trying to fit in prayer time and basically just throwing that ideal in the garbage because I just was like, how on earth is this supposed to happen? But I just want to share with any of your listeners, like it can happen. It might look different. It might look different. It might not be as quiet, but I'm still able to get in a solid 15 to 20 minutes of just reading one chapter of the Bible, and then just quietly reflecting upon it, regardless of what is going on around me. So it's not as quiet per se, but I can still sit with my coffee, look out the window, close my eyes if I can, and get a little bit of, to be very frank with you, solid time in. And that has been a big blessing of quarantine for me. Um, This was not a regular practice before. It was sort of a practice I would have for a little bit of time and then fall off it and then get back to it. This has been the first time in my adult life that I've been truly consistent with reading the Bible. Okay. So then my calls, like I mentioned, typically begin at nine o'clock. So everybody in the house knows that from nine to 11, I am in the office door locked I have a, uh, how old is Colleen? Colleen is almost five months old. So typically what happens is I will nurse her and she will simply just sit beside me in a stroller because she has fallen into the nap schedule of nine to 11. So it's kind of perfect. Oh, nice. Yeah. She will sleep almost always the exact amount of time that I have calls. And then if she doesn't sleep, I just simply hold her and nurse her or what have you. After 11 is when we all kind of reconvene together. So my husband has taken care of homeschooling. We will reconvene. And oftentimes there's a child who needs my computer because they need a Zoom call or what have you. And so we're either navigating that and then eventually I'm making lunch. My husband will eat lunch with us 
And then he is usually off by noon for sure. And he starts his work day. So from noon to one, I would say we are eating lunch. We are tying up loose ends from the school day. We are typically done our school day by 1 p.m. And that is when my children get to play Nintendo. And it is like we have an old school Super Nintendo that has only a few games on it. And it is the be all and end all of their day is when they get to play Nintendo. When they play Nintendo is when I take calls that are non-focus calls is what I call them. So like, let's say I want to have a catch up with a girlfriend. I will literally put it into my Zoom calendar or my Calendly calendar to catch up with a girlfriend. I have three people who I, on a recurring appointment basis, catch up with, which is, is really fun. One of the things that I've realized in quarantine is that I truly want to become a better friend especially because I've moved and there are some friendships that I really want to continue to invest in. Obviously, it's just really brought to the surface that these things don't just happen by accident. Like you don't have good friendships without actually like investing in them. So I've got three people who I'm literally recurring appointment. And then sometimes I will do some business related calls. But again, they're calls that can be, I can be interrupted if necessary. Like it's kind of no big deal. Then kind of depending on the day, we sometimes have some appointments for school around 2.30 or 3, again on Zoom calls. But then by 3.30, we are usually out. It's a big rule in my house that we don't move on to a new activity without doing a little bit of a tidy up and chore. So we make sure that the house is in a good condition before we are out the door. And then at 3.30, it's always some kind of outdoor time. So whether that is like, I live in a beautiful town in Southwest Florida. So whether that is a walk around the lake or we get on our bikes, or sometimes we get in the car and we simply just go for a drive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we are usually outside from 3.30 onward. And then we eat dinner early. So I eat dinner as early as possible. So when they were in school, sometimes we were eating dinner as early as four o'clock because I prefer to simply have, and it's strategic, I prefer to have the house clean earlier in the day. So I used to do dinner later, but then I just found I had so many dishes and so many things and it was so late and then it impacted our evening. So when I moved dinner up, I was like, whoa, like now my house is clean and I can kind of enjoy it for the evening. So we have dinner usually no later than five o'clock and cooking in my house is very simple. I rely on my air fryer a lot. I rely on a slow cooker a lot. I keep meals very, very simple. And so we're eating by five and then our evening often looks like we pray a rosary while walking. And then depending on the day, we will watch a show together or we've been really into board games like everyone else in the world during one. Right. <laughs> and so there are a couple games that we really enjoy Heads Up, which is like charades using your phone. And then my kids have gotten into this game called Don't Step in the Poop. It's like the most hilarious game where you take these little Play-Doh balls and you make them shape like poop. And then you have a blindfold on And you're supposed to walk through this little like maze you've created with poop in it and not step in it. My children think this is the best thing that has ever been invented. So, so there's usually some kind of like family shared activity ish in the evening. And then in an ideal world, bedtime routine has begun by seven. And so what's been happening in quarantine with our family is that the routine happens, but children are staying up. And I'll just be honest with you, we're, we're just sort of rolling with the punches. We do try to have it be completely like 
in your rooms and quiet, especially for the little, little ones by eight o'clock where nobody's coming out of their rooms anymore. But it has been a very kind of weird time. We were really successful with sleep when we lived in Toronto and when my children were in school, but something has happened with I don't know what, I don't know if it's, if it's quarantine or it's, we also live in a, a city where it's very bright. So I, I, I'm more, mm-hmm. that's part of it. Like it's just so bright outside very late. So anyways, same, no, same thing. Yeah. I actually have always, I've had such good sleepers. I've really never had like the nighttime bedtime fight. Like, sure. I might get a, like a, Oh, or this, but quarantine has been extremely humbling for me, especially with my fifth. She's two and she'll be three in September. And she's just been like a party animal at night. Like she does not want to go to bed. And it's very odd to me. And I'm like, wait, have I lost all my, (laughs) I, I was like the sleep, like I, I felt like I was the sleep guru and what the heck. And I think just something is just not completely this, you know, it's just a little bit off right now. Sorry, is your dinners, are your dinners a little bit later now because of that? Or are you still kind of going as early as possible? The reason why my dinners are so early is again, so that I can have a clean house because then on most nights of the week, I'm stepping into coaching calls. So the kids are in bed and by eight o'clock, I'm back in my office where I am focused again for a call. And I do that three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then, you know, on the nights that I'm not doing calls, my husband and I really, really enjoy, it's kind of like an evening ritual that we do a cheese board. So like just Mm. all cheeses, some nice like crackers, like olive oil, spicy honey. I could go on and on. We have so much fun creating these beautiful boards. And then we're relaxing. We really like his, his love language is 100% quality time. Quality time. So Mm -hmm. I have become very conscientious as we've been married now 12 years to make sure that that is prioritized in my calendar. And so I would say almost every day we are having like a beautiful cheese board and just connecting and being quiet when the house is quiet. That's probably been the biggest struggle for me during quarantine is just quiet, like finding finding quiet. And we've been doing many different things to just be strategic. So we use outside as much as we can. We've also been very strategic about like, I am on so you can be off. I've got the kids. You go and be quiet for the time that is necessary. You know, I, I think this is a really important thing to address. All parents require different things. Like I don't believe in things being equal. Like I believe in things being what you need, like address the need. For me, it's not about 50, 50. Like, have you picked up half the laundry or half the garbage or whatever? It's, It's just, you know, with respect, like it's just respectfully, it's not, that's just not how I, I feel. I really do feel it has to be you've got to look at the hard wirings of each parent and plan accordingly. So I'm an extrovert. I have a high capacity for things. <laughs> go and go and go in terms of my energy level and noise and, and people asking me questions. Whereas my husband cannot, like he just, it's just not as easy for him to be in noise and chaos and exuberance, if you will, for as long stretches as I'm able to. So we use those to our advantage. Like I'm able to, so I, I take the kids so he can get some quiet. And what I find then is then when we all return together, his tank has been filled, so to speak, with quiet. So yeah, those are my days. Right now in quarantine, they're very full. Ideally, I would be going to bed earlier than I am. Ideally, I would like to not coach in the evenings. I've realized that is 
a standard I would like to implement post-quarantine when I can get some more childcare in so that I can do more calls during the day and that the moms that I'm coaching can do the same. So yeah, so they're fun days. They are full days. Sometimes they are long days, but I am super grateful for what's going on in my life right now. Well, Lisa, this has been such an amazing time to have with you. And I really can see why you are the possibility mom. And I just want to thank you for encouraging that in all of us and for your time today, because I know how hard it is to get away from all the kids. And I'm always just saying a little prayer during these interviews, like, oh my gosh, no one come barging in, even though I think it would make for a good laugh. But on an ending note is you've shared so many pieces of wisdom and guidance, but is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience today on a closing note? You just need to start. This is the question that I get asked probably the most often is how do you do it? How do you do it in a quarantine? How do you do it? Period. Like how are you putting lipstick on? How, how do you have time to do all these things? How do you do it? And I think, honestly, one of the biggest secrets to my success that really isn't a secret is that I take action even though it might be imperfect. Like, I just start. I think everyone can build the muscle of releasing imperfection. I think that everyone can build the muscle of quieting the inner critic. I think that everyone, regardless of what is happening to you, can make progress on goals and dreams. You just have to start. Thank you, Lisa, for your time today. Just start. Thank you for listening today. For more motivation on living boldly, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you. you.